0: In your Bibles tonight, we're going to be looking at a few chapters from the book of Genesis. So I'm going to ask that you start with me at Genesis chapter number 40. Genesis chapter 40 tonight is at least where we'll begin in a sermon that I've titled, What's With All the Problems? Genesis chapter 40 is where we'll begin. We continue our series tonight answering the questions that every Christian should know. We're going to answer the question of problems. Why does it seem that Christians seem to have so many problems? Whether it is with us personally or a Christian friend that we know or with someone that we're reading about, why does it seem that God allows Christians to face so many problems? In his book, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, Howard Rutledge tells how he survived the better part of a decade of suffering and torture after his plane was shot down during the Vietnam War. He was captured, he was stripped, and he was incarcerated. And I'll spare you some of the graphic details of what harsh torture he endured. But in one section, he describes the miserable state of his life as a prisoner of war. Listen to what he says. When the door slammed and the key turned in that rusty iron lock, A feeling of utter loneliness swept over me. I lay down on the cold cement slab in my six-by-six prison. The smell of human excrement burned my nostrils. A rat as large as a small cat scampered across the slab beside me. The walls and floors and ceilings were caked with filth. Bars covered a tiny window high above the door. I was cold and hungry. My body ached from swollen joints and sprained muscles. It's hard to describe what solitary confinement can do to unnerve and defeat a man. You quickly tire of standing up or sitting down, sleeping or being awake. There are no books, no paper, no pencils or magazines. The only colors that you see are drab gray and dirty brown. Months or years may go by when you don't see the sunrise or the moon, green grass or flowers. You are locked in, alone and silent in your filthy little cell breathing stale, rotten air, and trying somehow to keep your sanity. Perhaps you're here tonight wondering why God has allowed all the different problems in your life. Maybe it seems like problems seem to follow you wherever you go. And maybe it seems that you just can't do anything to avoid them. Maybe the thought of problems or impending problems keep you up at night. It's possible you haven't had a decent night's sleep in a quite a while because all these questions are just swirling around in your mind and you have no idea what God is going to do, maybe even if God is even aware of all the problems you're faced with. Before I offer you any words of comfort, let me first remind you that Jesus told us in advance that problems would be what we face in life. In John 16, 33, Jesus declared, these things I've spoken not uh, unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, it is encouraging to know that in Jesus, in Christ, in our Savior, we might have peace. But some of us wish that it would have ended there, that there would be no mention of tribulation faced in the world, that there'd be no mention of problems that we would have to deal with over the course of our lives. And as we get to the bottom of why we as Christians have so many problems, let me draw your attention to an Old Testament character who experienced his fair share of problems and knew a thing or two about problems. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 40 and even before and after this, we're told about the character of Joseph. Joseph experienced his fair share of problems over the course of his life. And here was a young man, As the story starts off, a young man loved by his father, clad in colorful robes, and yet hated by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers, when he was just 17 years old. If his brothers had acted in haste, they would have killed him. They had every intention to put him to death. But fortunately, they were willing to listen to their eldest brother, and instead of killing him, they decided to sell him into slavery. And Joseph's situation seemed to improve a little bit as he went into slavery and he was sold into a house of a man named Potiphar. And he eventually earned and won the respect of his master to become the overseer of his entire house. Now we know the story because we know that, that problems didn't just end there for Joseph. Because as much as he became prominent in the eyes of Potiphar and became overseer in his entire house, one day Potiphar's wife tried to, tried to seduce him. We know that Joseph resisted and he fled, but as he fled, he left his cloak in the hand of Potiphar's wife. And needless to say, Potiphar's wife went ahead then and accused Joseph of, of immorality. And though innocent, Joseph was thrown into an Egyptian dungeon where he lived out the entire decade of his 20s. Now, I don't know of, any, of anyone who, who wants to be in prison, let alone in an Egyptian prison nearly 3,000 years ago, but that is where Joseph found himself. An innocent man, through no fault of his own, found his life spiraling out of control with one nightmare scenario after the next. Each horrible situation always seeming to go from bad to worse. Such events would leave any believer questioning God as to why all the problems? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? What was done to deserve such treatment? Would there be an end to all of these problems? Perhaps you find yourself like Joseph where problems in your life seem to be out of control. Everything you've done seems to come up short. Nothing you do ends up helping yourself. Perhaps you're wondering why God has brought these circumstances in your life, why he's allowed you to go through so many seasons of suffering, why he's permitted all the, what seems to be endless chaos, why he's made a way for affliction to follow you everywhere that you go. Problems are never pretty. They're never something we enjoy having. And pointing out that problems often present opportunity for blessings, I'm not trying to minimize the problems. I faced problems in my life where the last thing I wanted to hear was someone tell me, maybe the Lord's bringing this for a good reason. You know what? That's really not what I want to hear right now. Hear someone say, oh, you know what? God's problems are a blessing in disguise. Well, they're disguised pretty well. But if we're ever going to figure out why all the problems come, we need to understand from the Word of God why problems come. And thankfully, the Bible takes a more hopeful attitude than our, what our emotions may feel. One author has provided a somewhat of a commentary on the question of problems, and he says this. Problems are predictors. They will mold your future. Problems are reminders we are not self-sufficient. Problems help us realize we need God and others to help us. Problems are opportunities. They pull us out of our rut and cause us to think creatively. Problems are blessings. They open up doors that we usually do not go through. Problems are lessons. Each new challenge will be our teacher. Problems are everywhere. No place or person is excluded from them. Problems are messages. They warn us about potential disaster. And problems are solvable. No problem is without a solution. There's a lot of truth there. And I pray that as we take a closer look at the life of Joseph here in the book of Genesis, we might be encouraged at how God used those problems in his life and how God can use the problems in your life as well. Now, in the brief summary that I've offered, I caught you at least up to speed to the events of Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is in an Egyptian prison. The last 13 years of his life have seemingly been one problem after another, but there is yet one more crippling blow of disappointment that Joseph is yet to face. As he's in prison, he was eventually joined by two other men. Notice what we read in the first four verses of Genesis chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against the two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. And they continued a season in ward. Both of these men... We're told here, and we're not told what it was, but we're told that they had angered Pharaoh to some degree, and consequently, they're thrown into prison. One morning, we find out, though, that as Joseph is now in prison with this baker and this butler, one morning, as Joseph is ministering to them, he notices that the two men are looking incredibly distressed. Something is wrong, so he asks them, what's wrong? Both men had a very strange dream and unable to interpret each of their dreams. They both felt that the dream had some sort of significance. They just couldn't pinpoint, couldn't figure out what significance it was, what the dream meant. And so Joseph assured each of them that God could explain their dreams. And so they all, each of them, agreed to tell him their dreams. And through the help of God, Joseph would interpret the dreams. And jump down to verse number 9. And I'll read down to verse 11 as we see the butler's dream uh, as he's telling Joseph. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream... Behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth. And the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And so Joseph here immediately knows what the dream meant. And tells, he tells the butler that in three days... Three days, this butler would be restored to his position as Pharaoh's butler. He'd be released from prison. He'd go back to his regular duties. And Joseph also added these last words to the butler. Notice what it says in verses 14 and 15. He makes a request. He says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house." For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. So he offers this one request. Listen, he says, your dream in three days it's telling me you're going to be released. You're going to be restored to what your duties were before you were thrown in prison. Remember me. Three days. Remember me. So feeling excited about the butler's dream. The baker He then jumps up, and he's excited. He's thinking, you know, good news for the butler must mean good news for me, too. So he goes, and he shares his dream with Joseph. Notice what we're told in verses 16 and 17. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. The news would not be so good for the baker, though. Something was also going to happen to him in three days. Instead, it would not be that he would be released. It would not be that he would be restored to his position as the Pharaoh's baker. Instead, Joseph reveals that he's going to be hanged. Sure enough, three days later on Pharaoh's birthday, the butler's released. Just like, Pharaoh, just like Joseph said he would. He's restored to all of his duties. And the baker was hanged. The butler was back doing what he had always been doing. Hours became days days became weeks, weeks became months, months became years, and the butler forgot all about Joseph. I cannot begin to imagine the level of discouragement that Joseph must have felt as he sat in prison knowing that he was an innocent man serving a sentence he didn't deserve. I can't imagine what thoughts may have circled his mind as he was waiting for that butler to show up one day. Hey, Joseph, I didn't forget. Every day, he's probably having these thoughts. Those first few days were probably the worst. As every noise he heard, he's probably thinking, here he comes. I can hear footsteps coming down. I can hear someone's approaching. That's got to be. Butler has told someone about my situation. They're coming to let me free. And no one comes. But the longer time went on and no mention of a release was offered, I'm sure discouragement took over Maybe you find yourself in a cell of discouragement today. Maybe you're waiting for good news that just never seems to come. Maybe you've been looking at all of your problems and you've been thinking, surely there has to be an end to all of these problems. And surely it's got to be right around the corner. Well, let's take a closer look at Joseph's situation. And hopefully you'll see that whether it was Joseph's problems here in Genesis or even our problems today, nothing at all happens by accident. Nothing happens by chance. Everyone else may have forgotten about Joseph. Everyone else may forget about you. But God has not forgotten, neither does he ever forsake his own. I want you to look back with me at Genesis chapter 39. Now, I, I, don't, I know we didn't read this. But I summarize some of these details in Genesis chapter 39. And I want to highlight four verses just really quickly because I want you to notice basically two phrases that are repeated of how the Lord was with Joseph through everything that he went through. Notice first verses 2 and 3 here in Genesis chapter 39. Verses 2 and 3 says, And the Lord was with Joseph. This is as he is overseer in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Jump down to verse 21. Same chapter, Genesis 39, verse number 21. Now he's in prison. Notice what it says, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And jump down to verse number 23. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Four times in one chapter, we are told about the nature of God to not forsake his his own children. God has his reasons for all of these problems in the life of Joseph. Even those reasons may not have been apparent to Joseph right away. God had his reasons. Things would eventually get better in Joseph's life, but those better days would only seem to very, very slowly approach. Joseph's story seems to remind us that there are maybe some great advantages to our problems. When we can understand this truth, we can start to look at problems from the proper perspective. So let's start taking a look here this evening at several reasons why Christians have so many problems. First, problems become opportunities. Problems become opportunities. This is why so many Christians have so many problems, because problems become opportunities. Many of us are very familiar with the story of Joseph here. It's nothing new that we're talking about. And as we take a step back and look at the entire story as a whole, we see how God used each of these instances in Joseph's life, each of these problems in his life, to become an incredible opportunity. A missionary by the name of Isabel Kuhn wrote an account of her life titled, In the Arena. And based on the idea that problems are God's way of providing an arena for our own witness, she said this, God taught me through the years to view my own trials as platforms in today's arena. I thought this concept was original with me, she said, but one day my husband found that Hudson Taylor had formed the same opinion many years ago. He said, difficulties afford a platform upon which God can show himself. We miss the opportunity when we develop this woe-is-me attitude and we spend our time wallowing in all the troubles that we have seen and how it shouldn't have been us to suffer in the first place and how we didn't deserve to have all these problems just unloaded on us and, and so on. Now, I will admit, it is so much easier said than done. But when we as children of God can develop this mindset that problems actually become opportunities, our eyes are more open to look for those opportunities. We see the Apostle Paul turn his problem of imprisonment in the book of Acts as an evangelistic meeting. All of a sudden, they're all singing, they're all praising God there in that prison. In fact, he wrote several New Testament books while he was in prison. We know them as the prison epistles. The Apostle John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he lived out the rest of his days just wallowing in in pity and self-loathing, and nothing was ever done, right? No. He wrote Scripture from that isle. John Bunyan was in prison when he wrote one of the greatest literary pieces that we know as Pilgrim's Progress. These men faced more of a literal prison, but for us it may be more of a figurative prison. The problems we face may deal more with finances or health or relationships or a hundred different things that we can fill in the blank with. But the key is to keep our eyes open to see how the Lord plans to use these problems into opportunities. Charles Colson was one of Richard Nixon's attorneys who ended up going into prison for his role in the whole Watergate scandal. He came to Christ during those days, and he later established a great ministry as he was in prison. And he said this, My lowest days as a Christian, and there were low ones, seven months worth of them in prison to be exact, have been far more fulfilling and rewarding than all the days of glory in the White House. Now it seems crazy to say But problems can actually become the most wonderful blessings of your life. I can confidently say that I would rather be a Christian with numerous problems than a non-Christian without any problems. For even in our problems, God is still with us. God is redeeming our difficulties, helping us to use our problems as a platform to show forth His glory and His grace. Joseph had not been Had he not been Egypt's prisoner, things would not have ended up the way that they did. William Secker, who is a 17th century preacher, he observed the following from Joseph's life. He said this, if if Joseph had not been in that Egyptian prison, he never would have been the governor of Egypt. The iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chain about his neck. When Job was afflicted, and never finding out why, he declared this in Job 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And the reason Job was able to make such a declaration is because of what he claimed to believe in Job 23, verse 10, which is this. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job may not have understood everything or any of what he was dealing with, but he did understand that all of these problems that he was dealing with were problems... That we're presenting opportunities for God to show forth his glory and his grace in such a new and unique way. I want you to notice second. First, problems become opportunities. But second, problems bring spiritual growth. Problems bring spiritual growth. Throughout the Bible, there are few who have suffered as much as Joseph suffered. But as you take a closer look at the entirety of Joseph's life, it becomes clear why God brought all of these problems. Joseph's life did not start out all that difficult. In fact, some might say he actually lived quite the pampered life as a youngster. He was the favorite son of his father. And you know what? It was evident that he was the favorite son of his father. His brothers were out spending their day working out in the fields, using their hands, getting dirty, just working their muscles as much as they could. Joseph spent his time being the center of the father's attention. You don't have to imagine why his brothers easily became frustrated with him, especially once he comes and tells them, hey, older brothers, guess what? I just had a dream you're all going to be bowing down to me. Oh, really? But overall, Joseph enjoyed a pretty relaxed life. And this is why God brought problems. If Joseph was ever going to be the man God intended him on being, he would have to toughen up. He would need some resolve. He would need some grit. He would need some backbone. He would need to get his hands dirty. He would need to work out his muscles. And muscles don't develop by sitting around and being pampered. At least I haven't figured that, found that to be true. They develop by putting them to use. And that is what God was doing in Joseph's life. Sometimes God allows problems to come so that he can toughen us up and prepare us for something better, to bring spiritual growth. In Psalm 105 and verses 16 to 22, it offers us a little bit of insight into how God orchestrated some of these events in the life of Joseph. Psalm 105 verses 16 to 22 says this, Moreover, and this is speaking about God, Moreover, God called for a famine upon the land, He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and the ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his senators wisdom. Joseph needed, in essence, to go through the fire before he would be ready to be everything God intended on him being for his people. So every trial he faced, every problem that he dealt with was something orchestrated by God to bring spiritual growth to Joseph who would eventually become the second in command in all of Egypt. And he would eventually be the one that his entire family would turn to for help. God used him to carry an entire nation through seven years of famine and you read through that account and there's not a single sign of even one person revolting during those seven years of famine. The world needs more tried and tested believers. When we've gone through the fire, there's a change that we experience as those problems bring that spiritual growth which is so necessary. That is the entire lesson behind what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, where he says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The same truth is expressed in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. And boy, can we agree with that. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So God uses the problems in our lives to bring the spiritual maturity that we need. It's never easy. When we're in the midst of the fire, it's never easy. But our outlook changes when we understand that God has allowed this problem because he's actually doing a great work in me to prepare me for something even better. This is why when James was writing to a group of believers who were scattered and being persecuted all over, he tells them this in James chapter 1, verses 2-4. through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not necessarily the association that you think to have. Oh, you're suffering? Count it all joy. Really? That's the last thing. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this. Here's why. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then we see also in First Peter chapter one, and verses six and seven. It says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So having looked at what the Bible has to say about problems and difficulties being used by God to actually strengthen us spiritually, it makes us think twice about wishing that we could live this problem-free life, right? Now this truth has also made me realize that my efforts of trying to help someone out in a difficulty may actually be hindering their spiritual growth. Think about this. When Joseph's brothers were first wanting to kill him, and they planned, and they had this perfect plan that was going to just work out, have their dad convinced that he's killed by an animal. It was Reuben, his oldest brother, who protested to keep the youngest brother alive. Now listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 37, and verse number 22. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-two. It says this. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So it was the other brother's plan to kill him. Reuben steps up and he says, Hold on a second, guys. We can't do this. Let's rough him up a little bit. Let's throw him into this pit right here. And it's his intention, as soon as we leave, I'm going to come back later. I'm going to get him out of this pit, and I'm going to bring him back to his father. But he's hoping to do this while no one else is around so that everyone doesn't prevent him from doing this. Well, what happens is we jump down to verse number 29, there in Genesis chapter 37, and Reuben happens to be away. Notice what it says in verse number 29. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes. He's not there. Now, if Reuben's plan to come back to the pit when his brothers were gone and rescue Joseph, if that actually worked, had he been successful, Joseph would have never been used by God in Egypt. We can go on down the line with every other problem that Joseph dealt with and he faced, how necessary each of them were And we would say that none of those would have ever ended up happening if Reuben had actually come back and found Joseph there in that pit and brought him back. But God used all of those, all of those issues to guide him from where he was to where he needed to be so that he could fulfill God's purpose for his life. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't help those that are struggling, but always prayerfully consider how you're going to help them in their struggles so that you're not a hindrance to that person's spiritual growth. It is through hardships that God prepares us for the challenges that lay ahead. Problems bring spiritual growth. Notice third, problems boost integrity. Problems boost integrity. If our character is genuine, then it won't matter what circumstances we're faced with. Because, we will face all of these different circumstances the same. Looking at the life of Joseph, it is clear that he was indeed a great man of character because we don't see him crumbling with each problem that he faces. What we do see is that each problem that he's faced with, it seems to just bolster this man's integrity. And it further demonstrates his exemplary character. Now, some people confuse character with reputation, but the two are just significantly different. Character is who you really are. Reputation is what others think you are. Your reputation is what's going to be chiseled on your tombstone. But your character is what God knows you to be. Your character doesn't change with your circumstances, it is merely strengthened through those difficulties. Many like to blame their circumstances for the the poor decisions that they've made in their lives. Well, it was really a, a, a no win situation. I made the best decision at the time under those circumstances. My back was against the wall. I was running out of time. It's not my fault. I had to make a snap decision, and this is what I ended up doing. We all use these excuses, and they're not entirely true. Our circumstances may try to pull us down, but each of us have the ability to choose our own convictions. The situations we face have a way of revealing who we really are. Because they put us on that fire, they put us under the pressure, and they force you to be real. They force you to make that snap decision and to reveal your true nature and your true character. The challenges of life end up being a wonderful way for God to demonstrate our true character and our integrity before others. One of the best opportunities for us to show the world who we are in Christ is how we handle difficulty. When you can prevail through your difficulties with a Christ-like integrity, it speaks volumes as a witness and as a testimony to a world that is watching and just waiting for you who claims to be a Christian to mess up. Problems help to bolster our integrity. Fourth, we see that problems build our dependency on God. Problems build our dependency on God. Now this is probably a rather obvious point to give. As we find ourselves faced with challenges and hardships, as Christians, they should drive us straight to God. Problems have a way of humbling us. Problems have a way of forcing us to identify all of our weaknesses and our desperate need for help. And that's why there are problems. Because we generally can't solve them without help. When we acknowledge our weakness, we can then acknowledge God's strength to help us in our hour of need. We've already shown how the Lord was with Joseph every step of the way. Through every trial that he endured, and by the end of the process, the Lord had increased Joseph's faith so much that towards the end, Joseph was able to tell his brothers who had kidnapped him, the same brothers who sold him into slavery, the same brothers who wanted him dead, now they're standing before him, who he's now the second in command of all of Egypt, and they're needing food from this man. Joseph was able to tell tell them this in Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 to 21. He says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. William Griffith Thomas, an Anglican scholar, had this to say about the life of Joseph. The secret of Joseph's power was the consciousness of the presence of God. God had not forgotten him, though it might have seemed to him that it was the case. The very incident that was apparently most injurious was the link used by God to bring about Joseph's exaltation. To the man who is sure that he is in the pathway of God's will... There will come the consciousness of the divine presence and blessing, which will be an unspeakable comfort as he rests in the Lord and waits patiently for him. Evil may have its temporary victories, but they are only temporary. Good and right and trust must prevail, and it is for the servants of God to wait quietly, to go forward humbly, to live faithfully, and to trust boldly, until God shall justify them, By his divine interposition, and glorify his grace in their lives. This is what Joseph found to be true in his life. He found out how much God loved him while he was in prison. And he used his problems as a launching pad to build his dependence on God. Number five, and this is the last point problems bolster us for ministry, problems bolster us. For ministry. Looking at Joseph's life now, you could say that all of the years of problems that he faced leading up to his time in Egypt was really the schooling that Joseph needed to be doing what he would eventually be doing in Egypt. As a teenager, in Genesis 37 verse 9, Joseph had a dream where the sun, the moon, and the stars would all bow down to him. But by the time he was 30, He understood that leadership was not about people bowing down to you. Leadership was about serving people. It is truly impressive to see his response to the baker and the butler back in Genesis chapter 40. Because what we find is that as he sat in that Egyptian dungeon for years, he never stopped caring about the needs of others. Joseph could have easily consumed himself in his own sorrows. Unjustly thrown in prison, but he employed a New Testament characteristic that Christians are called to, and that is comforting those around us with the comfort we have received from God. The more you're thrown into the fire, the more you're sensitive of the troubles of those around you. The more you see just how the grace and mercy of God in troubles are often called upon to share their experiences as a source of comfort to others. Problems have a way of equipping us to be better servants for Christ because now we can identify with those around us who are going through something similar to what we went through to something that we also experienced. That was one of the reasons why Christ came as a man in the first place so that we might have a high priest, the Bible says, who was in all points tempted yet without sin He is familiar with all the challenges that you and I will face and the hardships that we will deal with because he's been there and he's done that. Someone has said that brokenness precedes usefulness. Sometimes God allows problems because he is preparing us to help someone. You may be going through a season of difficulty now because God intends on using these experiences that you're dealing with right now to be a blessing to someone in the future. Joseph ended up being a servant to everyone around him as he eventually became the one to administer food to all the hungry people, not just in Egypt but all around Egypt because everyone was coming to Egypt because Egypt was the only place that during those seven years of famine that was actually collecting food and resources. he learned to be that servant, a servant that God intended in him being in the years that God was working on him in the pit, in Potiphar's house, in the prison as a slave. As painful as problems may be, I hope you see that problems can serve an incredible purpose. Problems can bolster us for ministry. Howard Rutledge, he went on to say about his solitary confinement in North Vietnam. He said, it took prison to show me how empty life is without God. I decided in Vietnam that if I were ever free again, that I would show spiritual leadership in my home and with my family. In prison, I firmly believed there was a God who loved me and was indeed working in my life. Most of us want all the blessings without having to go through any sort of struggle. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want the resurrection, but not the death. That's not the way that God works. The good news is that despite all the problems, though through them all, God can really make us better the more that we trust in him. It may be that God is leading you through some really dark valleys at this present time. Know that God has a purpose for you. And that as you continue to trust in his purposes and know that his presence is going with you, even if you can't see it right away, be confident that he is meaning all of this even for your good. Would you bow with me in prayer here tonight? Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, for problems. Lord, I know that being thankful for problems is not something that comes habitually to us. But Lord, as we have taken a closer look at one of your servants here in the the Old Testament, Lord, and how it was that you... Allow the problems to come into his life, but use these problems, Lord, to strengthen him, to equip him, to be the man that he needed to be. I pray, Lord, that we would see the the usefulness of being broken for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at life from a different perspective, that we would see, Lord, though there may be plenty of problems that we face, there's a purpose behind every single one of them, even if the reason isn't known right away. May our focus continue to stay on you And may our faith rest steadfast in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight, we're going to close.